You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Let me invite you now to turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're actually going to read the entirety of chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good way, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's open with a word of prayer. 
Father, we thank you for your good word that is profitable for the building up of your church, that's profitable for teaching us about Christ and the gospel and the salvation that is only given to him. Father, we are so grateful for the sweet time of worship that we have already enjoyed this morning as we've sung and as we've heard from your word, as we've prayed. Father, we already are so encouraged by your great grace that you have given us. And Father, we pray now that as your word lays open on our laps, Father, that you would, by your Spirit's power, give us understanding and insight, not only to to understand the text before us, but to put it into practice in our lives. Father, we pray that where there is lingering sin in our hearts, that you would stir us and convict us to repentance. Father, we pray where there is negligence, Lord, that you would empower us by your Spirit to obey as we think through how we can disciple our children at Redemption Church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've, I've learned that part of my callings intersect quite heavily. Because on the one hand, there's a, there's a few responsibilities that tend to define my life. One is the responsibility of being a pastor. And another big responsibility I have in my life is being a father. And one of the things I've learned after 10 years of pastoral ministry and five years of of trying to be a father, I've learned that in so many ways, those two responsibilities kind of intermesh. There's a lot of similarities to those two responsibilities that I have. Because on the one hand, being a pastor is a lot like being a dad. You know, you have to deal with kids. Kids who rebel, church members who uh, talk back and, and question and doubt, and, and you deal with disappointment, right? When, when people you love and care for in your church body stray into sin and, and to disobedience, people who ignore your instruction, but yet nevertheless, as a pastor, you, you watch the church grow and the people in the church grow in holiness and grace, and you watch them as they grow, as they stumble, as they fall, as they get back up again or, and are restored. It's a slow process. Being a pastor is a lot like being a dad. But at the same time, being a dad is a lot like being a pastor. You have to carefully instruct your children, teaching them day by day, constantly. And you have to do so with patience. And you have to always be in prayer because we are so dependent upon the Lord as we try to raise up our children in a way that would be pleasing to Him. Like a pastor, you've got to be consistent You've got to correct. You have to admonish. You have to encourage your children with the scripture. Being a dad or a parent is a lot like being a pastor to your children. And it's in light of this that I want to turn our attention to think through Deuteronomy chapter 6. Over this summer, we've been kind of laying the groundwork for the vision of Redemption Church and kind of what we hope God will build as we strive to be obedient to him in the forming of Redemption Church in this community. And so as we have a couple more weeks until our official covenanting together and our public launch, I want to deal with an issue that I think is important as we think through the life of our church together, and that is an issue concerning the discipleship of our children. How should we as a congregation think through these wonderful little faces that are sitting and squirming in the room with us during worship? And I think it's something we have to give careful thought to. And I think Deuteronomy chapter 6 has so much to teach us about 
the discipleship of children. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a full chapter. And there's a lot of different avenues we could go to explore and dive in deeper into this chapter. But but as we look at Deuteronomy 6 today, I want to particularly look at what Deuteronomy 6 teaches us about how to disciple children. Whether it's church-wide or whether it's you individual as a parent in your home, how can we disciple our children? Of course, the word Deuteronomy means second law. That's kind of, if you literally transcribe it, that's what it would mean. And so Deuteronomy isn't a second law and being an additional law that God has given in, in the Pentateuch here, but rather it's a retelling of the original law. This is Moses kind of coming to the end of his life and ministry, and he is summoning the people of Israel one more time, and he is preaching the law to them. In many ways, Deuteronomy is kind of one big sermon or a series of sermon as, as Moses is taking the law that God has given the people of Israel and he's trying to bring it to bear on their lives. So as we look to Deuteronomy 6 this morning, we're going to look at four principles for the discipleship of children, not only in your life if you've got kids in your home, but, but as a church as a whole. And so in some, this is if you're looking for the sermon in a sentence, this is it. We instruct the hearts of children with the scriptures and testify to God's grace as we go about our lives. So we instruct the hearts of children with the scriptures and we testify to God's grace as we go about our lives. So let's let's kind of dive into this text together. And the first thing I want to draw, this first principle I want to illustrate for you is this, pass down scriptural instruction. We have to pass down scriptural instruction. Notice as you look at these first three verses of Deuteronomy 6, the the emphasis that Moses places on this multi-generational dynamic when it comes to the law. Look at at what he says in verse 6, verse 1. It says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it. And then check this out in verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you. Notice there the emphasis on not just you, but your children and your grandchildren. So as Moses is bringing this, this, the word of the, of the Lord to bear on the people of Israel, he's, he's encouraged them to look much broader than just your own life. That part of the responsibility Israel had is not just to make sure they knew the law, but that they were passing down the word of God to the next generation, to their children and to their grandchildren. You see, as we think through the Great Commission, you know, Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations. And of course, that's what we want to be about. We want to make sure the nations hear about Christ and the gospel, how he redeems and how he saves. But I want to suggest that the Great Commission is more than just reaching the nations. It's also about reaching generations. And as we think through what it means for us to be a Great Commission people, part of that means sending missionaries overseas. Part of it means pressing in and making sure the generations after us have the word of God. And have been taught the word of God. So one of the things we have to do is we have to think about life after we die. We have to live with that sort of perspective. And that sounds kind of morbid. Most of us don't like to think about our deaths, let alone what happens after our deaths. But I want to suggest, I think the scriptures give us this this command to think about the generations that will come after your six feet underground. 
And we need to be thinking and having a burden, not just for our children, but for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, for the generations to come, that we need to think about how we can reach them. And if you understand this principle, I think Moses is emphasizing in these first three verses of, of, of reaching the sons and the sons' sons, that I think it'll broaden your horizon as you think about your own parenting. If you look at parenting from that perspective, it changes how you handle the day-to-day. Because for most of us, for most parents nowadays, we're, we're simply pleased if our, parent, if, if our children grow up and become productive members of society. That's kind of what, what parents want. You know, I want my kid to be a doctor and, or a lawyer or a CEO or a business owner. And so parents are intent that, and they pump all their energy and attention in order to, to get my kid to grow up, to be academically successful so they can be college bound and get those degrees and get that job. However, what, what is the aim of our parenting? I mean, think about it for a second. What does it profit if we give our children the whole world yet forsake their own soul? How many Christian parents sacrifice the souls of their children upon an altar of worldly success? You see, parents prioritize lots of things in their kids' lives, soccer and dance, homework and clubs, but A lot of parents, a lot of Christian parents, practically ignore the spiritual development of their children. You see, if your greatest dream for your kid this morning is that they would grow up and and have a lavish house and a cushy salary one day, then let me tell you, friend, you are tragically dreaming too small for your children. Too small. For Christian parents, our heart's prayer should be that our children would fear the Lord. So Deuteronomy 6 prays, right? That our children would fear the Lord, fear the Lord your God. That should be our prayer, that should be our desire, and not just for our children, but that we want to disciple and prepare our children in such a way that that not only our children fear the Lord, but our grandchildren would, and our great-grandchildren would. We want to invest in them now so that the legacy of faith we, we put into their lives and teach them would be passed on to generations to come. In in other words, the primary focus of your parenting efforts should be to raise your children in such a way that the great grandbaby that you may never hold would be brought up in the instruction of God's word and would fear the Lord. Think about after you're dead and gone. Pray that the legacy of faith would continue through your faithfulness now and the present. So when you adopt this vision for parenting, for discipleship of children, then things begin to change. Your perspective begins to change because you'll begin to stop worrying so much if my kid makes a six-figure salary or not. Grades and trophies, they'll, they'll become less significant. They're not as big of a deal. Instead, as a parent, you will be intent on shepherding the heart of your children in the truth. That will be the aim that drives all of your parenting. And when it is, your priorities begin to change. Your priority for your children becomes spiritual formation, not worldly uh, accumulation, excuse me. That becomes the focus. Spiritual formation, not worldly accumulation. So so by keeping the statutes and the commandments of the Lord, we want our children to know this. So so look at what what Moses says here. Look at verse 2 again. He says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. How? Look at the next little prepositional phrase here, right? By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, 
So again, one of the ways, the way that we help bring our children up in the Lord and help them to fear the Lord is we must teach them the word of God. We have to teach them the scriptures. We got to prioritize this. And so Proverbs provides the normative pattern for how this works in the family of faith. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is the generally true principle of God's word. Again, if you bring up your children in the word of God, more often than not, they will remain faithful in that word by God's grace. So we want to be intentional as parents and making sure that our little hearts that have been entrusted into our care, that we're, we're giving them truth, that we're, we're teaching them the scriptures, that we're making sure that they know the statutes and commandments of God. We want to make sure they know the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do you do this as a parent? Maybe you're thinking, all right, well, you're right. I, I need to be more focused on the spiritual formation of my children. How do I do that? Well, it just requires intentionality and discipline and, and priority. And one of the best ways that families can begin to, to focus on the spiritual formation of their children is by implementing an old practice that has been forgotten called family worship. Family worship. The Puritans used to do it all the time, and then we thought we got too cool for it. But, but it's coming back, and I think it's a wonderful tool, a way to train your children. So what is family worship? Well, it's just simply kind of like a family quiet time almost. Maybe at a set time of day, at breakfast or at dinner, you gather the family together after a meal. You read a scripture together. Maybe you work on a scripture memory verse together. Maybe you utilize a catechism to help your children learn sound doctrine and truth. Maybe you sing a song. But again, it's that consistent, disciplined practice of gathering your family together for worship so that you can teach them and instruct them the word of God. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be complicated. But we must be intentional about doing it. So one of the ways we want to help families do that at Redemption Church is through something we're going to be calling our discipleship guide. So beginning on August 19th, once kind of we launch, there's going to be a weekly handout that we email out to everybody on Sunday afternoons. And we'll also have some physical copies here you can pick up. But it's going to have a devotion that you can use to prepare for next week's sermon. But on the back of that paper, it's going to have a Bible reading plan, if you don't have one, that you can follow and keep and implement. It's also going to have a weekly script memory verse, and it's also going to have a, a question from the New City Catechism, a question and answer each week that you can use with your children and that our Redemption Kids Ministries will rehearse and, and practice with your children on Sundays. Now, you might be least familiar with the idea of a catechism. What is a catechism? Well, it was a, it's an older tool that, again, is making a comeback of a way to teach children truth, the truth of God's word. And so a catechism is simply just a question and answer format. It's a short question that prompts your children to repeat a memorized answer that they learn. So, uh, so the New City Catechism is a newer catechism that's been released and is so helpful in helping parents train their children up in the truth of God's word. And so we're going to be using that as a congregation. And so let me encourage you, moms and dads, to think through how can you implement this practice of family worship at your home and make that a disciplined priority. But at the same time, as a parent, you can only teach what you know. And I think one of the reasons that so many parents neglect the spiritual formation of their children is that they're not being spiritually formed themselves. You can't give what you don't have. 
Think about being on an airplane. If you pay attention to the stewardess when she's going through the emergency instructions, you got to take your headphones out for that. But when you're, when you're listening to it, uh, they go through the video, and what do they always tell you? In the event of a crash, the oxygen masks drop down, and then what are you supposed to do? Put it on your kid first? No, they tell you put your own mask on first and then put on the mask of your children. I think when it comes to the discipleship of our children, it's a similar concept. That if moms and dads aren't investing themselves in the scriptures and knowledge of God and growing in truth, then rarely will that love of truth be passed down to their children. So parents, you've got to focus on your own discipleship so that you can disciple your children. But at the same time, don't get the feeling that you need to be like a PhD in theology in order to disciple your children. Start where you are, grow and learn and pass down as you learn and grow the truth that you learn to your children. But this is the first principle I want to draw out for us. Pass down scriptural instruction to our children. And that leads to the second principle I want to draw out for us is shape the hearts of your children. Shape the hearts of your children. So if point one focuses on the content of discipleship, teach them the Bible, teach them the scriptures, I think point two focuses on the aim of discipleship. The aim being we're aiming for the heart of our children. So as you look at the beginning of verse four, we see that that Moses begins a very famous passage in the Bible called the Shema, which is off of, uh, based off of the Hebrew word here for hear, hear with your ears. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And often this is called a, the greatest commandment. In fact, you remember when Jesus was in uh, speaking and teaching and was asked, what is the, the, sum up the commandments, what the greatest commandment? And he says in Matthew 22, he says, he quotes this verse, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So this is so important as we think through the discipleship of children because it means that as we disciple children, we're not just aiming to make them Bible scholars. We don't want want them to just become Bible drill experts, but rather we want our children to be pierced in the heart with the truth of God's word. Because if you don't aim for the heart, you'll end up just producing Pharisees. And Lord knows we don't need any more of them. We want to aim for the heart. So that means that as a parent, this is challenging. Because you have to take the truth of God's word and make sure not only that they know it, but that that, that, that their head is being connected to their heart. You know, we tend to be on guard against this tendency to, to break down humanity into disconnected parts. You know, there's a big theological conversation about how do you break down the parts of the soul? Is it one part, two part, or three? That's a meandering conversation for another day. But, But I think the important principle here is that we often overly separate the different parts of the human being. You got the mind and the heart, right? So we tend to talk like, well, he's got he's got head knowledge, but he doesn't have heart knowledge. As if the head and the heart are really disconnected from each other. Because they, they, they go together. We are one person, one human being. And so as we think about the, the discipleship of our children, we have to impress that truth upon the minds of our children. They can't believe if they don't know. They can't have it affect their heart if they can't know the truths mentally. But at the same time, we have to work on, on taking that truth and impressing it upon the heart. Love for God is not summoned in a vacuum of content but rather it's summoned in a response to a confronted truth. 
So we must tell our children the truth so that they can love God truly. So we must teach our children the full counsel of God, truths about his glory, truths about his holiness, truth about his wrath towards our sin. We must teach about the grace of God and the love of God and the sending of his own son, Jesus Christ, to die in the place of sinners. We have to teach them about the hope of the resurrection and how Jesus on the third day rose again. And we want to teach them these truths. We want to teach them that they can have salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what we want to teach them. But as we teach these truths to our children, our hope is not just that they can recite the correct answers back to us, but our prayer is that these truths would grip their little hearts, that they would be pierced to their soul, the very bone and marrow by the word of God and by God's truth. But at the same time, we have to understand that their hearts can't be gripped by these truths if they have not learned these truths. So we must teach them the word of God but aiming ultimately for the heart, not just the mind. You know, as we think about what it means to be a parent, it's an overwhelming job. The most you and I can do as parents is simply put some kindling around the hearts of our children, and we must depend upon God to set it ablaze. That's a humbling place to be, because it means that you and I, we can't save our children. Only Jesus can do that by his Spirit's power. But yet we build that kindling around the hearts of our children. We put truth around it. We, we, we fill up as much as we can so that when God sends the fire from heaven, that there is much to catch ablaze so that their little lives might become burning infernos of passion and zeal and love and mission for God. And so we pray and we hope that God would change our children's hearts, that he would cause them to be born again. So that's our, that's our hope. We teach them the content of the scriptures, and and secondly, we shape the hearts of our children. And then thirdly, we see we disciple everywhere. We disciple everywhere. Everywhere we go. Look at verse 6 through 9 of Deuteronomy 6. Look at what, what, what Moses says. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There's the emphasis on the heart again, right? You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look at uh, the way Moses structures this passage. It's a series of opposites. So he talks firstly here, he talks about the the idea of sitting and walking. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, opposite postures. Then he talks about when you lie down and when you rise. So the the, the feeling behind this passage as Moses is communicating is no matter what posture you're in, you're teaching your children. You're bringing them up in the commandments of God. There is no downtime, so to speak. And, and you see, too, that this emphasis of, of binding the truths upon your arms, upon your eyes, putting them on doorposts. I mean, the idea is we want to surround our children with the word of God. And there are a lot of ways we can do that as parents. Maybe it means writing it on your doorpost, but it's thinking through creative ways of, of how can I surround my children everywhere they go with the scriptures. Maybe it's just writing a, a little scripture verse for the day on their mirror so they'll see it when they wake up. Maybe it's, it's 
quoting a scripture when you're trying to counsel them or discipline them. Maybe it's uh, through Bible studies and through teaching them, but we want to figure out ways where we can bring God's word into the regular rhythm of our life as a family. We want them to see it. We want to see every opportunity as a teaching moment. And part of the struggle for parents, and as a parent I can testify to this, is that as parents we want to be off sometimes. We want to turn off mommy mode or daddy mode for an extended period of time because we're tired, children are exhausting, they wear on us, they grate on our nerves. And so we have this desire to just kind of be off and to kind of check out from our parenting responsibilities for a while. But listen carefully, as long as your children's eyes are open, they are watching and listening to everything you do. It's humbling to think about. Because every second your children are awake, it's an opportunity that God is giving you to disciple them. Watch how you do it. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you act. And this overwhelming task, it's, it's joyously unrelenting. It doesn't stop. It's constant. Because those little eyes are always watching, and they are a humbling reminder and often a gift from the Lord to often reveal all that lingering sin that's left in our hearts. Nothing brings out your sin like children do. Second, maybe to a spouse, right? (laughs) But those are humbling gifts because it just shows you all that sin that you have built up and how much you still need Christ. So parents, we must disciple our children with intentionality. We must be focused on this. We must think of ways to do it everywhere we go, as we go. Now, this has important implications, too, as we think about What is the church's role in the discipleship of children? And that's an important avenue to think about because the church is a wonderful partner for the discipleship of children, but it's a terrible replacement for the discipleship of children. You know, a lot of the times uh, parents think that, well, if I just get my kids in the church building and I get them to show up and drag them here, often against their will, to, to come to the children's ministry, then, whew, I'm done. My responsibility's over. I've done my spiritual formation for the week. All right, let's get out of here and get back to our real lives. That's the way a lot of parents think. And that's the way a lot of parents think the church. That if I can just get my kids to come, then yeah, they're going to be like spiritual superstars. They're going to be like Paul or Peter or somebody like that. But let me tell you, the church is a wonderful partner to come alongside you. But we only have your children one hour a week. If that... You're with them all the other hours, 168 hours a week. We get them for one. You will have much more opportunity to disciple your children than anyone here at Redemption Church ever will. So we want to come along beside you to help you, to equip you, to to disciple you, to train you in how to do the work of discipleship. But parents, God has called you to be the primary discipler of your children, You are the one who will bear that responsibility. You are the one who will have to stand before God and give an account for the souls of your children. Don't handle that lightly. So the church will be a wonderful resource. And that's kind of our desire at Redemption Church is is we hope to be a great resource for you. So we plan in the future as we grow and as we mature and as we get more established to to add some classes for for elementary students and middle school students and even high school students and thinking through ways that we can be focused in discipling those generations. But at the same time, we don't ever plan to take your your kids away from you and say, all right, let us handle the discipleship. You can't outsource your discipleship of your children to paid professionals. It's a a job you have to do. 
But at the same time, we want to resource you. We want to equip you. We want to reinforce what you're teaching at home. And we want to help you in that task. And that's what we want to do at Redemption Church is to resource, partner, and equip you as parents to be the primary disciplers of your home so that we can disciple them everywhere we go, not just the one hour a week at church. And that leads to the fourth truth I want to draw out for us is the fourth principle is that we must testify to God's grace. We must testify to God's grace. And we see that in verse 10 through 25 in the rest of the chapter. You know, it's interesting. Children often really have no concept of time. We're working with my son Jude on a lot of things right now. One is just the calendar. And so he always asks me every day what day of the week it is. And we're trying to go through the days of the week. But he just, he doesn't know what time it is, what year it is. I mean, he's kind of aloof to all that. And he doesn't really understand how long the world has been in existence before he was around. So just the other day, he was playing something on his iPad. And he asked me, he said, Daddy, what kind of iPad did you have when you were a kid? <laughs> like, we didn't, we didn't have iPads, right? They're only like less than a decade old. I mean, they're not that around. It's not like the typewriter. I mean, that's been a long time. But, you know, an iPad. Uh, but, you know, he just doesn't understand. But as he's getting older, he, he begins to become more inquisitive about the past. He's beginning to understand there are things that happened before him. And so he'll ask me questions like, well, Daddy, what was your favorite toy when you were a kid? Uh, which are all the same toys he likes, right? Or what was, what was your favorite movie when you were a kid? And so he begins to get inquisitive about the past of his mommy and daddy. And he's starting to realize, hey, they're there was stuff that happened before I was around. And so children are naturally curious about the past. And I think one of the responsibilities, one of the areas of greatest neglect that I think most Christian families who are intent on discipling their children often ignore is testifying to the grace of God throughout redemptive history. Helping root our children in what God has done before your lifetime and my lifetime, what he's done for millennia. And I think that's the danger that, that Moses emphasizes in the last half of this chapter. Again, there's a lot here we could go into, but it's fascinating to me that Moses is constantly warning the people against forgetfulness. He's warning them, don't forget. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how God saved you. Don't forget how God redeemed you. Don't forget how you got all these wonderful blessings of the new land. And so Moses is constantly emphasizing this. And I, I'm, I'm convinced, I think forgetfulness is perhaps the most dangerous temptation in the Christian life. We forget what God's done in our lives, let alone in the lives of saints generations past. We assume, we neglect, we ignore. And nothing derails a generation like spiritual amnesia. And when the spiritual inheritance of God's riches and grace, when that fails to be passed down to the next generation, then that generation's ignorance leads to their corruption. And I think we're seeing that now as we look across our culture and our world. The gospel was assumed, it was forgotten, and now it's despised in much of our world. So look at what Moses says here. Look at verse 10 through 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not feel, fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget 
the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice, notice Moses is emphasizing the grace of God all throughout this passage. I mean, Israel is getting ready to enter into the promised land. They're getting ready to go through that time of conquest in the book of Joshua. And God's going to bring them into the land as he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all their forefathers. And God has brought the people out of Egypt through the power of the plagues against Pharaoh and, and crushing his mighty armies in the, in the Red Sea as the people pass through unsafe and as the armies of the Egyptians are swallowed up. All this has recently happened. It's on the forefront of the people's minds. It's still pretty much seared, even though this is a different generation now. It's pretty much seared in their identity as a people. And Moses is emphatic that as you get to that land, it's going to get comfortable. It's going to get nice. There's going to be lots of blessing that will come from that land. And don't forget where you got it from. It came from God's grace. He is the one who did it. You didn't build these cities. You didn't fill these cisterns. You didn't plant those vineyards. God has given them to you by his grace and by his power. Go down to verse 20 and let's read here. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? So he's imagining here for a second. Imagine your kid comes up to you, and this is a question parents we might get. What's, what's the point of the Bible? What is the scriptures all about? Why, why does God want us to live this way and act this way and do these things? What's going on here? And notice how Moses responds. He doesn't respond, well, God says it, you need to do it. But rather, he, he fleshes out the grace and redemption of God as the impetus behind the commands of God. Look at verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, here's how you're to answer that question. When we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. There's an important principle here for parents who are discipling their children. Preach the grace of God before you emphasize the commandments of God. We must make sure that our kids understand and have received the gospel of grace. It's really easy for Christian parents to drift into legalism. Don't do that. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't hit your sister. And we can begin to emphasize all these things of don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And we lose the, the impetus of why we obey God, not out of some moral obligation to try to make God love us and to receive righteousness based off our own merit. But we obey out of gratitude and love for the grace of God that we've received in Christ Jesus. We have to get the order right. We can't put the imperatives of the gospel before the indicatives of the gospel, meaning that we must make sure we understand who we are in Christ, what Christ has done, how he redeems us. We need to make sure our children understand that really well and that they believe it before we start really buckling down on here's how the Lord tells us to live. Of course, there's some mixture of that, and it's, but we want to make sure our children understand we obey out of grace. We, obey not to, we don't obey to earn grace. We have to make sure we get that order right. 
And so we see that, that, that Moses is just emphasizing this. He's searing the Exodus event into the collective memory of the people of Israel. And again, he's searing it not just for this generation, but remember, he's got multiple generations in view. In fact, as you read the Old Testament, read the Psalms, read, read Isaiah, they're always pointing back to remember what God did? Remember what he did in Exodus? Remember how he brought you out of the land? Because the people were forgetting They needed to be reminded. And so we must be sure that we are searing our children, rooting each generation in the stream of redemptive history. We must understand how our children fit into this great and grand plan that God has put in place to redeem the world through his son, Jesus Christ, for his own glory. And so that means we must teach them and testify to what God has done by his grace throughout history. Meaning that as we think about our children, we must root them in the great tradition of the saints. We should describe to our children not just the biblical events of redemptive history, but I would even suggest the last 2,000 years of church history. That we must understand how our children fit into this great redemptive story that God is doing in this world for his glory. So we should wondrously describe to our children the events of the exodus of Israel. We should weep with our children as we tell them of the crucified Christ. We should leap with joy as we describe to them the resurrection of Christ and the birth of the church at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit is given to the apostles. We should tell our children about the sufferings of the apostles and the persecutions and martyrs of the early church. We must tell our children about Augustine and his conversion out of sexual sin and his theological war that he waged against the heretic Pelagius. We must tell the story of Martin Luther, the German monk, and his great discovery of justification by faith alone. We should tell the children, our children, of the ejection of the Puritans from their pulpits out of England and the price that they paid in prison for standing firm upon the gospel and seeking to reform the church in light of the scriptures. We should tell our children about the great revival that swept these own lands that we lived in several centuries ago as whole towns in this country were converted under the ministry of men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. We should tell our children about the great suffering of some of those first missionaries, missionaries like Adoniram Judson that endured such prolific suffering as he took the gospel to India. We should tell our children about how God has worked in the lives of of men in the 20th century, men like D.L. Moody and Martin Lloyd-Jones and Billy Graham and Jim Elliott. We should testify to our children, these saints who have come before us, these saints that had their flaws in a lot of different ways, but who in other ways were so faithful. We must teach them their faithfulness and their failures in order to testify to our children that history is not about you, It's not about me. It's not about any of these individuals. It's about God and his grace and his glory as he is building up his church for the glory of his name. We must testify. We must help our children understand this. Ignorance of church history, of redemptive history, has only impoverished our children, keeping them away from the encouraging testimonies of the past. So things like creeds and confessions and catechisms All of these are are wonderful tools that help us root ourselves, but even our own children in this great tradition of the church, of what God is doing throughout redemptive history. And so we must teach them these things. We must teach them the, the flow of this history in which they find themselves, because if we don't testify 
amnesia will settle in, and this next generation of Christians will be aloof, and they will be easily caught up by the winds of cultural change like a tumbleweed in the Mojave Desert. And we don't want that for our children. We want them to be rooted in the scriptures, rooted in Christ, and we want them to be rooted in the great tradition of the saints. So part of this is, too, is not just sharing with your children this great tradition, but also sharing and testifying to God's grace in your own life. I think our children so often need to hear about how we came to know the Lord, about the sins that the Lord has saved us from. And of course, you've got to be discerning about that as your children grow. But you never need to present yourself as a parent as if you've got it all together. Because guess what? Your kids know you're a liar, right? <laughs> they do. And so we need to help them see that mommy and daddy needs Jesus just as much as you do. We need forgiveness. We need grace. We sin. Even ask your children for forgiveness when you sin against them and when you speak harshly towards them. All of this is sharing with your children that we are sinners who are in desperate need of God's grace. So children in this room, we love you. We are glad you are here. And our hope, not only for your parents, but, but for all of Redemption Church, is that this would be a place where you can grow up, where you will hear the word of God preached faithfully. We want to help teach you and what the Bible has to say. And our prayer is that, that as you learn more about God and learn more about history and what God has done throughout the scriptures, that, that you would believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that God would give you a new heart that you would receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord by faith alone. That's our prayer for you. And we want Redemption Church to be an environment that helps encourage you and build you up in that. Parents, we know parenting is a weighty responsibility. If you've got children living in your home, these are some of the most important years of your life in terms of discipleship and Great Commission work. It's a weighty responsibility. Don't neglect it. Don't ignore it. Don't go off but you will give an account to God for your children. And then for those of us in this room who don't have children, or maybe we're empty nesters, we don't have kids in the home, you have a responsibility too, to love these children that run around the room <laughs> before church on Sunday mornings, who are rambunctious, who don't always sit still, who sometimes interrupt. Love those children and love those tired parents who need some encouragement who need some help, who need some support, who need some service. So smile and support them and encourage them in this work that they have to disciple their children. So may these squirmy arms and dangling legs always be welcomed as we gather for worship. We are glad our children are worshiping with us. We welcome the distractions. We do this by design because we want our children to love the Lord, to hear the word of God. So may we not see children as a burden, as distractions, as inconvenience, but may we see our children as a joyous and weighty responsibility that even though Redemption Church doesn't even yet officially exist, may we plant this church with eternity in our view, with an eternal perspective. May the foundation that we are building in Redemption Church, a foundation built upon Christ and built upon the scriptures, may it continue long after you and I are dead and buried. If the Lord tarries, may we leave our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren with a gospel legacy 
faithfully passing down the gospel of Jesus Christ and entrusting our children to steward it faithfully to our grandchildren. Let's pray together. Father, we are in so need of your son, Jesus Christ, and for the grace that we have in him. Father, we are thankful that it is by your grace alone that we are saved, that we are redeemed, that we are made new. And Father, we pray that it's out of this grace that we come before you as we think about the discipleship of our children. Lord, we know that there are many failures that parents endure in their parenting. Lord, we don't always disciple our children well. We're negligent. We're disobedient. Father, I pray that where there is failure in this room, that we would confess that sin. We would repent of it. But Lord, that we would have confidence that you have forgiven us of our parenting failures. And Lord, that you have given us a new day, no matter how old our children, to start afresh and anew and instructing them with the word of God. Father, I do pray for parents in this room with children in their home now, Lord, that they would understand the weighty responsibility that they have. And Lord, I pray that those of us in Redemption Church, that as we build these next generation's ministries of Redemption Kids, Lord, that we would be intentional in coming alongside these parents and encouraging them in their work, training them in their work, and helping them in the discipleship of their children. Father, we are so excited to see Redemption Church so closely coming to existence and formation. And Father, we pray that even what we're starting today, this foundation we're trying to build upon your word, Lord, we pray that we would think through not just this next month or year of this church's existence, but Lord, that we would be thinking through the next 50, 60, 70 years. Lord, if you tarry, if you've yet to come back, Lord, we pray that this foundation that we're building, that we would pass it on to our children. And Lord, that our children would continue to faithfully pass the gospel down to the next generation. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would save and redeem the hearts of these little children in our church. That, Lord, at your time and at your will, that you would awaken them to the beauties of the, of the cross, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, that they would repent and believe in Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that as we sing, Lord, that you would encourage us with the wonderful truths as we praise you and praise you alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.